Though his men and horses were now weary, he rode as fast as he could along the strait, and as he came in sight of the east bank, he ordered his companies to charge. It was the turn of the Isengarders to be surprised. They heard the thunder of black hooves and saw coming like black shadows against the darkening east a great host, as it seemed, with Elfhelm at its head, and beside him a white standard bore as a guide to those that followed. Few stood their ground, most fled northwards, pursued by two of Elfhelm's companies. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And together, together we, we are Keep, keep On Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back. back. Welcome back. Or welcome to. This is going to be fun, guys. Yeah. This is uh, episode 63. The last episode we did like this, a lot of people liked. So I'm excited yeah, to do it Yeah, this is going to be fun. But before we get into too much episode stuff, yeah. let's uh, start off with a couple announcements today. So we got our new t-shirts available. Don't forget to go check those out. That is going to be at keep-on-token-podcast.tmail.com. Go get your merch. Support yeah, yeah. Keep On Token. Yeah, and uh, we have uh, creative control over that, too. So if you guys like want to see a t-shirt made or have an idea. Yeah, hit us, us up. Yeah. Absolutely. And there is definitely more uh, t-shirts to come. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of fun doing it. But yes, so today, for part two of season five, we are talking, of course, all about Rohan. This is our Rohan chunk. Yeah. So today's episode is a uh, lesser known battles episode, but only the Rohirrim edition. Rohirrim edition. That's right, guys. So we're going to be going over some of those lesser known battles that were specifically uh, Rohirrim related. Yeah. Because as it turns out, there is a shitload of of writing out there just about like the Rohirrim and their ancestors. Yeah. Like I I don't know what it was, but Tolkien spent a lot of time writing about these people. Yeah, we definitely were saying earlier that we kind of bit off more than we could chew for this uh this run because we did not know how much there was. Right. Like we knew there was a good amount and we're like, you know, we never really covered this before, so maybe we should give it a shot. I think we could get a whole run out of just Oh yeah, the Rohirrim and oh my could've lord, got a whole fucking season. we could have done a whole season yeah. <laughs> about the Rohirrim. There is so much yeah. content out there. Yeah, so this is our, our uh, paying homage to the uh, the great Rohirrim. Yeah, and specifically the uh, lesser known battles that they were part of throughout yeah. time. Yes, and the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion are filled with so many awesome battles. That some of them, they kind of fall by the wayside, right? Right. So today we just wanted to talk about some of the battles involving the Rohirrim that don't get the tension that they deserve. And of course, if we're talking about the Rohirrim, we're going to talk about kind of their ancestry. So we're going to start. With, they've had a constant history of war, friends. They yeah. have had a constant history of war. Not just the Rohirrim, but the 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 peoples that came became the Rohirrim. Yes, Their exactly. ancestors, even. And we're going to start off with some of those folks. Yeah, so kind of like how we started in the last episode, likewise this time we're going to start talking about to uh, start by talking about the Northmen a little bit. Yeah. And the wars that the Northmen were a part of because they were <laughs> yes, many wars going on. Um so yeah, the like we said there were here were the descendants of the men of Ro, uh the the Northmen of Rovanian. And uh we got an excerpt from Joel about these Northmen folk. These Northmen were descendants of the same race of men as those who in the First Age passed into the west of Middle-earth and became the allies of the Eldar in their wars against Morgoth. They were therefore from afar-off kinsmen of the Dúnedain or Numenorians, and there was great friendship between them and the people of Gondor. Yeah, so right off the bat, you got middlemen of the Edain here, and they, they, they're going to get along with the Gondorians, yeah, because they're, they're what? They're ancestors, right? Yeah, they're distantly related, so they they use that as a, a point of camaraderie, essentially. Yeah, and so these guys are actually dis specifically they're descendants of a group of men from the House of Hador that didn't want to cross the Misty Mountains because they were big and scary in the First Age. Remember? Right. Yeah, those mountains were extra tall during the First Age. So, well, the elves also didn't want to. A lot of them didn't want to <laughs> cross. And the Hador were like, "No thanks." Yeah. And these mortal men, I imagine, they'd be particularly. Uh, 
intimidated by that feat. So they, a lot of them stayed in Rovanion. Yeah. And never made the journey over to Beleriand. And likewise, never made it over to Numenor. Yeah. So they just kind of chilled in Rovanion for the remainder of the first stage. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what was happening in the first stage in Rovanion. Yeah, so during the beginning of the first stage, the three houses of the Adain, they came into Middle-earth from the east. Uh, two of those houses came into Rovanion from the east, and uh, they were fleeing from their wars against the men of darkness in the east. Because yeah. a lot of the men out east uh, became... Straight up Sauron heads. Yeah, Sauron heads. Yeah. <laughs> Sauron heads. Yeah, they, were, <laughs> they were serving Sauron. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they so these uh, the, the these two houses of the Adain they settle the region triangulated by the Iron Hills, the Inland Sea of Ruin, and Greenwood the Great. Yeah, so kind of like the eastern northeastern area of Ravanian. Yeah, yeah, and eventually the House of Baor and a small amount of the House of Hador decided to continue their journey west over those misty mountains. And the ones that stayed behind in Rovanion became the Northmen of Rovanion, these middlemen that we've referenced so many times. Yeah, so they're kind of solidified first as this culture of the Northmen of Rovanion. Mm -hmm. And the Northmen grew in strength and number throughout the First Age, and this was largely due to the relative peace kept in the region by Durin's folk and the Nandor elves of the Greenwood. Yeah, there seems to be always kind of somebody keeping peace if yeah. there's peacetime. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that saying, if you want peace, prepare for war. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, so most of the population of men at this time was spread out through small villages in between the Grey Mountains and the Greenwood. And they just kind of occupied various little towns in that region. Yeah, so the first stage is pretty quiet because, you know, not much. All the Melkor uh, shit is happening up in Beleriand. Right, yeah, so folks over in Ophanian, they're just kind of getting set up, just getting yeah. hunkered down. yeah. So let's uh, that's pretty much all they did in the first stage. So let's get into this. Some of the it, it 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 gets worse in the second age. Yeah. So after the fall of Morgoth and the destruction of Beleriand at the end of the first age, the peace in the area of Ravanian where these Northmen were was now broken. Yeah. Turns out many battle hardened, hardened but defeated orcs and other enemies of the free people they returned to the region and became to just wreck up the place. Yeah, the more the Northmen could do little to defend themselves against the onslaught because all they had were, you know, simple weapons like bows, uh, and then, you know, just simple dikes and fences. Dikes a ditch, yeah. Yeah, let's dig a ditch. This is this is what we got. <laughs> and yeah, fences, singles. Yeah, they were simple simple people. Yeah. Right? Luckily though, the nearby dwarves eventually began to uh, do business with the Northmen and began to help arm them with real, you know, oh, yeah. weapons, metal weapons, you know, real sick ass armor and, and also the some ideas to defensive tactics yeah. being one of them and this is all in exchange for their knowledge of horse and ho horse breeding and riding and animal husbandry and shit like that yeah and for that that point right there that one we want to really drive that home there is this is when they started to use horses in that region the dwarves using the dwarves. horses during the second age so this is when the dwarves started using mounts, and they and used the, horses. And that might contradict with the popular image of them riding fucking pigs to the Battle of the Five Armies? Right, yeah, no, this is this is why the dwarves would not have been riding fucking pigs into battle. Dwarves don't ride pigs. Yeah, and, this right uh, here. We are offended at that imagery. We want to... Uh, offensive, I agree. We want an apology from someone. Yeah. On behalf of the dwarves. Yeah, keep on talking podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about this lesser known alliance here the alliance of dwarves and men yeah this was something i actually didn't know much about yeah so there was an alliance of dwarves and men that was formed and during this time the dwarves began to adopt the speech of men so this is when they started, they started doing westron yeah they started to speak in westron and just keeping cool's duel secret among themselves uh the alliance it led to general peace and stability in the region for a time yeah, I suppose that'd be a wonderful exchange for goods and services there. Yeah, it was a it was a good relationship. Everybody everybody fucking loved it. Yeah, and this all changed in Second Age, sixteen ninety three, when Sauron once again became powerful and invaded Eriador and Ravanian during the War of the Elves and Sauron. So at this point, the Northmen they could do nothing to withstand Sauron's forces. Yeah, most of their towns and cities were destroyed, and the Northmen came to eventually hide in caves and encampments on the uh, eaves of Greenwood the Great. So they're just kind of hiding out right now. And the dwarves completely abandoned their outer settlements and shut themselves inside Casa Doom to endure the long siege. It's a siege for sure. For sure. 
In uh, in Second Age 1700, Gilgalad and his Numenorean buddies under Tar Minister, you might remember this one, they scored a huge battle in the Vattery of the, the Battle of the Guatho, which is like the southern part of the Shire. Oh, yeah, that was a huge victory for them. Yeah. Yeah, Sauron's forces were utterly destroyed, and he escaped with only one bodyguard. Yup. And Gilgalad and friends liberated Rovanion and pushed Sauron back to Mordor, and that was around 1701. The Second Age. Took him a year to kick his ass out of Rovanion. Yeah, that's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it's not specifically stated that the Northmen were involved in the Last Alliance at the end of the Second Age, but it can pretty much be assumed that at least some of them fought along with the uh, armies of Gondor with Anarion. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I find it very hard to believe that these Northmen of Rovanion, the ones that become the Aethane, would sit out of the Last Alliance. Right, especially with their homeland being just utterly fucked yeah. from all of this. Yes. Like, I'm sure a lot of them would want to enlist, essentially, and like go help and out. And go fight in Gondor, yeah. Right. So that takes us into the Third Age now. And the early years of the Third Age were a time of prosperity for both the Northmen and for Gondor. Both groups became great, and the Northmen established the kingdom of Rovanion. In this uh this co this commingled relationship of success that they have here is very important and uh we'll get into in this Yeah, in it this, starts really early. It starts really friggin' early is what we want to what we really want to drive home and uh they become yeah, semi-codependent on each other for a while and here's a excerpt about that. They were in fact a bulwark of Gondor, keeping its northern and eastern frontiers from invasion though it was not fully realized by the kings until the bulwark was weakened and destroyed. Yeah. Don't know what you got (laughs) till it's gone. All good things must come to an end. All good things. And that good thing that, uh, the good things that come to an end are, uh, came to an end from a plague. Yeah. Believe it or not. We know how fun those are, right? Super fun. Yeah. So this hits Gondor and Rovanion around the age 16, or around 1635 of the Third Age. And uh, Rovanion is hit hardest, and around half of the Northmen are killed. Just straight half. Bam. Dead. In this, in like a year. That's an efficient plague. Like, yeah. That wipes people out, man. And then, and then, and then, we <laughs> have <laughs> what plagues them for the next few centuries. The invasion of the Wayne Riders. Yeah, it's just one thing after another for these people. Who are the Wayne Riders, Joel? Okay, so the Wayne Riders, they're basically a confederacy of Easterling tribes united against Gondor and Gondor's allies. And they drove large wagons and fought with chariots, which hence the name Wayne Riders. Wayne Riders. And in the Third Age, 1851, Rofanion is invaded by Wayne Riders and quickly overrun. You know why? Because half of them are already dead, that's why. Right. From the fucking plague. From this huge plague. Yeah, they're recovering from plague. They're not (laughs) ready for a surprise attack from people on fucking chariots. Yeah. So this leads to the Battle of the Plains. Yeah, first lesser known known battle here. Yeah, this is going to be our our first real lesser known battle of the episode. Yeah, we've been kind of giving you the the overview of the wars that they were, the warish things that they were involved in. But here's a straight up battle. So in the age eighteen, or excuse me, in the year eighteen fifty-six of the Third Age, this is when King Narmasil II of Gondor gathered all the remnants of the Northmen and a huge force of Gondorians to gather just south of Mirkwood. Uh, and before they could kind of set up and do anything there, they were just kind of meeting. Uh, the Wayne Riders they descend upon the group from the north and northeast, and this is not good. Yeah, this is disastrous. Yeah, King Narmasil is straight up fucking killed. Uh, and Marhari, who's the leader of the Northmen, is killed. Yeah, the army of Gondor has to retreat at this point back across the Dagger Lad to Ithilien. They really, they got to run back into Gondor. Yeah, so they're like, they lost basically Ravanian, fucking gone. There's yeah. no connection between that anymore. And then everything up to North Ithilien is occupied by. Wayne that's Riders. a lot. That's like over half the country, isn't it? It's a like a fourth of uh, like the influence region of Gondor. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and Narmasil II is succeeded then by Kalimitar. Did I say that right? Some Kalimitar, of the, yeah. Kalimitar, yeah, okay. Kalimitar. I, it was funny because like, when I was spelling it for this one, it has the word meh in the middle. Some of these older names can get pretty pretty intense. Yeah, Kalimitar, yeah, he's, he's an important one. Oh, keep your eye on him. And uh, Marhari is succeeded by his son, Marwini, who also is a character one. you may recognize. We've talked about him a little bit before. Yeah, Marwini, our pal. Yeah, Marwini leads a band of these Northmen to the Vales of Anduin, 
And this is where they settle down for a little bit and they start to prosper and they become known as the Aeothid. We've got an excerpt about this here. Of the Aeothid. The Aeothid were first known by that name in the days of King Kalamatar of Gondor, who died in the year 1936 of the Third Age, at which time they were a small people living in the vales of the Anduin between the Karak and the Galadin fields, for the most part, on the west side of the river. Yeah, over on the west side of the river there. I imagine that was like one of the most beautiful like grasslands. Yeah, it's Both, gorgeous. Yeah. So they're still a small people, but they found like a nice grasslands area to settle down right next by that big river very close to the woods too then get their wood it's a good it's a very good place to settle down yeah but uh meanwhile the rest of uh uh the the northmen that aren't aothade they are straight up under occupation now they are slaves Mm -hmm. yeah so after the battle of the plains the wayne riders were basically they were deterred from invading gondor for the time being so instead they continued their brutal campaign to destroy and occupy rovanian yeah, and during this time, most of Rovanian was enslaved straight up, and the Wayne Riders are spread out all over the fucking place in a straight up full occupation force. Yeah, and at this time, the Aothaid, being the best riders around, began a clandestine campaign against the Wayne Rider camps. This is so fucking cool. The Aothaid, uh, yeah. yeah. At this point, the Aothaid had really gotten into their horses. Yeah, and they were they could ride further and faster than anybody, so they could just hit these camps. Mm-hmm. And like, and they would get information and stuff, which is what we're about to talk about right now. But yeah, they would they would do all this like clandestinely. Like, oh man, it must have been cool to see. It would have been really fucking cool to see. Yeah. So eventually, so essentially, their spies find some hot information around the around the year nineteen, or excuse me, eighteen ninety four. Uh, so essentially, the Wayne Riders are planning on invading Kalinarden, and the occupied Northmen uh, decided in return to start planning a major insurgency accompanied by a uprising of the slaves yeah like a kind of a one-two punch like not only you're going to have an invading insurgency but your slaves are also going to uprise at the same time it was it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty gnarly plan yeah and yeah so she was about to pop off again because everyone knows war is like pringles once you pop fun don't stop baby Honestly, dude, for these people, that's totally true. Yeah, it no. Just, once the, you t- fuck with it once, just that's why I never do war. Just, just don't do it. Yeah, the people in it's, this region, it's it's constant. Yeah, it's just constant. No matter how hard they try to stop doing it, they got it again. So the information about this planned insurgency and uprising uh, came to the leader of the Aothid, Marwini, and in the first gesture of friendship between the Aothid and Gondor, he sent word to King Kalaminatar in Gondor, warning them of the planned uh, Wayne Riders invasion. Yeah, and this is a fun chapter in the history that I like to call Kalimitar and Marwini and the victory at Daggerlad, which is fun. <laughs> um, so the Kalimitar, after getting this information, he had a brilliant twofold plan. Yeah, he would try to provoke the Wayne Riders to attack from Ithilien, but he would also then let them push him back. He'd be like, oh, yeah, come on in. Yeah, Yeah, essentially kind of leading them and uh, pulling the Wayne Riders even further from their camp. So just kind of leading them away to places where they might be a little more susceptible to danger. And then he also sent his his best riders up the uh, western side of the Anduin. Up north. Up north to cross and then flank the shit out of these guys. And that was uh, uh, a huge, also involved was a huge Aorid led by who else? But Marwini. Our man Marwini. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Marwini in the future in our uh, next episode, actually. Hell yeah. So uh, they would cross the Anduin at the Undeeps and drive the Wayne Riders off to the east. And we've got an awesome excerpt about this here. The Wayne Riders came down with all strength that they could spare. And Kalimitar gave way before them, drawing them away from their homes. At length, battle was joined upon the Dagger Lad, and the result was long in doubt. But at its height, horsemen that Kalimitar had sent over the Undeeps, left unguarded by the enemy, joined with a great Eorid led by Marwini, assailed the Wainriders in the flank and in the rear. The victory of Gondor was overwhelming, though not in the event decisive. Yeah, the riders of Marwini literally chased those fuckers right out of Gondor and told them never to come back. And yeah, now we got an excerpt, which is one of my favorite things I've found ever in the Unfinished Tales. Um, Joel's going to read it. But the horsemen of Marwini harried the fugitives and inflicted great loss upon them in their long route over the plains. 
until they were within far sight of Mirkwood. There they left them, taunting them, Fly east, not north, folk of Sauron. See, the homes you stole are in flames. For there was a great smoke in the air. And why was that? Was all that smoke going down? Turns out the revolt of the Northmen was a great success, though yeah. many were killed. Yeah, because their homes were literally in flames. <laughs> yeah, they like, look over there. She's gone down while you were off here fighting with us losing. You were also having your homes burned. Tons <laughs> of bitches. Yeah, don't run north. Or wait, we said run north, not east. Not east, folk. Or not north. Fly east, not north, as it says. Yeah, go back to Sauron, not to the homes in flame. Yeah. And we've got a excerpt here about the revolt. The revolt, planned and assisted by Marwini, had indeed broken out. Desperate outlaws coming out of the forest had roused the slaves, and together they had succeeded in burning many of the dwellings of the main of the Wainriders and their storehouses and their fortified camps of wagons. But most of them had perished in the attempt, for they were all ill-armed, and the enemy had not left their homes undefended. Their youths and old men were aided by the younger women, who in that people were also trained in arms and fought fiercely in defense of their homes and children. Yeah, so their their plan worked, essentially. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, like, they're, they're straight up, like, burning these people out, man. They're just, like, women, children, all of them, get them out. It's like a whole campaign of uh, terror going on up there in the north. On the, the Easterlings. Yeah. Uh, the Wayne Riders were swept away to the east, and there was peace from the Wayne Rider invasion from the east, at least for now. For now. And this is when an important relationship is forged between the Aothade and the Kingdom of Gondor. We got an excerpt here. Nonetheless, the alliance of Kalamitar and Marhwini had not been in vain. If the strength of the Wayne Riders of Rovanion had not been broken, the assault would have come sooner and in greater force, and the realm of Gondor might have been destroyed. But the greatest effect of the alliance lay far in the future which none of them could foresee. The two great rides of the Rohirrim to the salvation of Gondor, the coming of Aerol to the fields of Celebrant, and the horns of King Theoden upon Palinor, but for which the return of the king would have been in vain. Yeah, this is one of those amazing moments in Tolkien that has ripples throughout history that nobody could foresee. Right, everyone's familiar with the famous ride of the Rohirrim in the Pelennor fields, but that is like a mirroring of similar events that happened like two, two twice, or three, yeah, two twice. or three times yep. before that. The, the yeah, the Northmen of Ravanian, the Aothed, and the Rohirrim have all. They're all basically the same peoples, just at mm-hmm. different time. Yeah, different times. And they've they've come to the aid of Gondor multiple times. Yeah, they're very tight with Gondor, and that's what mm-hmm. we wanted to drive home in this episode. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why Boromir defends them so fiercely mm-hmm. at, like, say, the Council Straight of Elrond. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, no, these are great people. Because don't they say when they're paying horses in Mor- to Mordor, he's like, that's a lie, like, yep. straight up? Yeah, he says that's a lie. Yeah. And like yeah, the the friendship it's it's funny because a lot of this episode might sound like a kind of like a Gondor episode because we go through so much of this intertwined history that they have mm-hmm. together. Yeah, because a lot of it, yeah, it's intertwined. Yeah. So speaking of Gondor, speaking of Gondor. <laughs> so at this time, around 1944 of the Third Age, this is when Gondor is about to get double fucked. Double fucked. Double fucked. Kind of like double stuffed Oreos. Yeah, that's what they're double about to fucked be. Gondor. <laughs> And this is when the spies of the Aothade mu- once more discover shocking news. Yeah, their shocking. spies are really, really good. Yeah. Like the Bospin spies. Yeah, from Star Wars. S- the Star Wars films. Yeah, dude. Yep. Mm-hmm. I understood that reference. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the message they have is, of course, the Wainriders have grown strong again, and they're planning to invade from the east. Yeah, Who the prize, but not for long from the Wainriders. Now they're back. They're back. So, fourth weenie, current lord of the Aothade, Sends word to King Ondoher of Gondor. And we have an excerpt about this. Orthwini, son of Marwini, indeed warned King, warned King Ondoher, who succeeded his father Kalimitar in the year 1936, that the Wayne Riders of Rovanian were recovering from their weakness and fear, and that he suspected that they were receiving new strength from the east, for he was much troubled by raids in the south of his lands that came both up the river and through the narrows of the forest. Yeah, a few days later, Onderher learns that he's double-fucked. Double-fucked. <laughs> yeah, the Haradrim are now invading from the south. Look at that. On top of everything, now you got these Haradrim from the south. Nice. 
So um, Onderher, he splits up his forces and he sends um, a dude named Aranil, or sorry, Arnil, to the south to Pelagir, Pelagir, to deal with the Haradrim. He's just going to station up there and be like, stay back, Haradrim, I guess. And we got, a, uh, we got an excerpt here about Arnil. Arnil had already made his dispositions. He had crossed the Anduin with half his force and leaving by, the de- by design, the fords of Paros undefended had encamped some 40 miles north in southern Athelion. King Onderher had purposed to lead his host north through Athelion and deploy it on the Daggerlad, a field of ill omen for the enemies of Gondor. Yeah, in this, um, what this uh, event that is coming up here with Onderher in the north is uh, what's become known as the Disaster of the Moranon. So Onderher himself would lead the Northern Army against the Wainriders, and uh, they're stacked with dudes. Yeah, they've got Onderher himself, they've got Ardemir, son of Onderher, they've got Minotaur, nephew of Onderher, commanding the left wing, and they've got Adrahil of Dol Amroth, commanding the right wing. I always love the people from Dol Amroth. Yeah, they're always the cool ones that come in, flying from the south, like sunny, sunny South Gondor. Oh, what's up, a war up here? Oh, I'll help you. Yeah, let's bring our shiny armor and our swords and help out. And then we've also got our friend, an unnamed leader of the Aeothaid, yeah. whom uh, we have lovingly dubbed as Marvin. But we will talk more about his name and him in our next episode. Yeah, Marvin is what we call him. <laughs> yeah, essentially Christopher Tolkien uh, could only make out the first four letters of his name in Tolkien's notes. <laughs> he could make out the M-A-R-H. Yeah, so we were just like, eh, it had to be Marvin, right? It's some kind of Mar-something, or a Marvin. Marvin. There you go. Right, that's it. So Onderher, he plans to march north out of Athelion and take up defensive positions on the Dagger Lad, which is uh, a solid, uh, a classic move by uh, Gondor to just set up on the uh, the actual battlefield. So unfortunately, the Wayne Riders were approaching faster than expected, and they attacked the northern army of Gondor, and the Aeothid pretty quickly. Yeah, they just kind of get sideswiped as they're marching north. Yeah, the onslaught is effective, and the king's and the king's guard is cut off, and Onderher and his son Artemir are both slain. And the last thing that Onderher did was send a message to Minotaur, his sister son, his nephew, telling him to cover the left flank and reestablish the line before the main host of Wayne Riders can arrive. Please do that. Yeah, and we've got an excerpt here about this. The main charge was hurled against his banner, and it was captured. His guard was almost annihilated, and he himself was slain, and his son, Artemir, by his, at his side. Their bodies were never recovered. The assault of the enemy passed over them and about both sides of the knoll, driving deep into the, into the disordered ranks of Gondor, hurling them back in confusion upon who those behind and scattering and pursuing many others westward into the dead marshes. There's a lot of people in the dead marshes. Yeah, just always. So Minotaur takes command and he sends his left wing to reinforce the rear guard to reform the line to reform the line as the main host of Wayne Riders approach. And he tells Edrahil to keep to take his right wing and set up a defensive line from Carandros to the Evelduath. That's just south. Like, that's a retreat line that everyone... Because Carandros is one of the fords of the river, right? So they want to... They're like, this is where Adrahil will set up his line. Is that his name? Adrahil? Adrahil, yeah. Will set up his line of defense. Yes, and he also tells them to send word of what had happened to Aranil and the southern army of Gondor. And he's like, Aranil, you got to hear about this, what we're calling the disaster of the Mirandon now, apparently. Um, things are not going well up here. Yeah, meanwhile, the Aeothid are still fighting hard, but are forced to retreat to the Dead Marshes. One particular soldier is wounded, and our good uh, unnamed friend, who we've called Marvin, tries to save him, but is too late. The young soldier dies in his arms. It is then discovered, later, that this was actually young Prince Faramir. The youngest son of Onderher. He King refused, Onderher. Yeah, King Onderher. He refused to stay behind in Minas Tirith, which is against the law. Yeah, it was the laws of Gondor that stated that the king could only go to war if he left an heir behind. So naturally, the prince had to stay there, but uh, the prince wanted to go. So he disguised himself and joined an Aored of the Aeothid 
So he went and basically joined the Aothaid and hung out in their army so he wasn't recognized in the Gondorian army. Yeah, and, is f- and fell in battle with them. Yeah, yeah. Marvin then leads his men to reinforce Minotaur at Northern Athelion. But this is ultimately no use. The Wainriders break through and Minotaur is slain by an arrow. Yeah, so Marvin and the Aothaid retreat to the line established earlier by Edrahil, along with all the surviving soldiers of the Northern Army. And that was what they call the disaster of the Moranin. And it was a complete clusterfuck. What what happened in this in this clusterfuck, Joel? So ultimately, King Onderher and his heirs were all slain. That line of kings is now ended. Yeah. Uh, the Wayne Riders are ultimately victorious, and they begin to straight up party and celebrate their victory. Yeah, straight up. Just straight up. They thought they were like, yeah, Gondor is totally overthrown. But it's time to get some revenge because they didn't count on one thing. And that's A.R. Nil in the south. Hell yeah. Time to get some revenge in the form of the Battle of the Camp. Cha-cha-cha. Yeah. So this is our next lesser-known battle we're covering. So as you may remember, Arunel and the southern army of Gondor were off fighting the Haradrim in the south. So Arunel had a much better time down in the south. He had quickly destroyed the army of the Haradrim in southern Athelion, even though he was vastly outnumbered. Vastly outnumbered. Pulls out, pulls out a, mm, ugh, a victory down there victory. in the south. And he basically has no time to spare, though, after this. So he had received word of all that had happened in the north, and he turns his army around and gathers what remains of the northern army and the Aethid, and they march forward on a mission to fuck up the Wayne Riders while they're all feasting and celebrating. They oh, yeah. are they're probably out. so wasted by now, too. Can you imagine? Like, out for yeah. revenge, man. Yeah, they're just going to fuck these dudes up as they party, man. Their plan is to, like, red wedding this shit. They're about to slaughter. Oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. So, of course, this fun time we're about to have is called the Battle of the Camp. We mentioned that. Aronel did indeed find the Wainriders feasting and celebrating. Yeah, they thought they had finally conquered Gondor. They thought that the best part of the army was destroyed and Gondor was now defenseless, but that is not the case. They didn't plan on two motherfuckers here, two good friends. I'm assuming they became good friends after this. Uh, I don't know how you couldn't be. In the camaraderie. Ar- yeah, Arnil and Marvin, right? Yeah, they lead a victorious assault against the Wayne Rider camp while they're all feasting. And the Wayne Riders are driven off to where else but the dead marshes, and victory is at hand. We got an excerpt about this glorious moment. But Arnil, captain of the southern army, won a great victory in South Athelion and destroyed the army of the Harad, that had crossed the river Paros. Hastening north, he gathered to him all he could of the retreating north northern army and came up against the main camp of the Wayne Riders while they were feasting and reveling, believing that Gondor was overthrown and that nothing remained but to take the spoil. Arunil stormed the camp and set fire to the Wains and drove the enemy in a great rout out of Athelion. A great part of those who fled before them perished in the dead marshes yeah like we said the dead marshes just be collecting dead people like, yeah like they're pogs and this something. is all before dagor Daggerlad too where there was a huge deposit of dead people like this is well this is well after uh well after that this is the oh, third this age. Is, excuse me so we're just dumping bodies in so we're continuing point. to dump bodies we're continuing yeah so like that's why i wondered if the ones that frodo saw how fresh they were because, yeah. like, it I thought, been thought they were from the Second Age, but yeah. Ew, I wouldn't want to see a Wayne Rider. They seem gross. So the aftermath of this battle. Arunil is crowned king by the Council of Gondor because there was no apparent heir at this point. Yeah. And he's basically a, a war hero at this point. Yeah, he's incredibly popular. He's the Dwight Eisenhower of fucking... Uh, Super popular. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but also, uh, are just I would be remiss to not mention our pal up in uh, the North Kingdom, Arvidwi. This is when he tries to lay claim to the crown, but no avail. Just because Arunil's so popular. Yeah, Arunil's just too damn popular. Yeah, but at this point, the Wayne Riders are utterly destroyed, finally. And Gondor was free from the Easterling invasion for at least a few hundred years. Yeah, can you imagine that? A couple centuries. And the Aothid returned north to the Vales of the Anduin, and there their valor was not forgotten in the land of Gondor. They always remembered their friends up north. Always, always. And they remember their friends at a... This is actually... A, did we mention this in the last Lesser Known Battles episode? I think we did. We may have, but um, it's definitely worth covering. But it's worth covering because the Aothade were involved, and that is the Battle of Fornost in uh, 1975 of the Third Age. Yeah, the 1970s, like we mentioned. Tumultuous. Tumultuous time. Yeah, the Battle of Fornost took place in Arthedane. We're not going to super get into it because, yes, we did cover it in Lesser Known Battles 53. It says right here, Joel. 
Yeah, refer back to episode 53. So briefly, Prince Erner came up the coast with a great host to aid the northern kingdom of the Dúnedain in its current war against the Witch King. But of course we know the ships are too late and Arthedain had already fallen. Northern kingdom was gone. But so great was Erner's host that Círdan, the motherfucking shipwright, Lord of the Havens, shafted, shafted. Um, gathered all who would fight from his realms, as well as the remaining Northern Dúnedain. And he's like, you know, since this huge host is here, let's join up and fuck some people up. Yeah, the real devastating factor was the Riders of Arnor, which swept away the Witch King's forces, purging them from the north. Yeah, and who are these riders made up of? They specifically say, not they, uh, weirdly enough, in this story they're referred to as men of the Vales of the Anduin, which who else could it be? Right, so we're, we take that as to mean that it's probably not just the Aeothed, but more than Yeah, the, the Bardings maybe. Probably, because yeah, yeah. there were more than just the Aeothed in the Vales of Anduin at that time, but we have a hard time believing that they were not part just, of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, who else would it be? Yeah. So yeah, we're throwing this one in there. They were at the Battle of Fornost, and they were decisive in their victory with their ride with their horse riding. Well, let's jump to our next battle on this lesser known battles for Hiram edition, and yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about the Battle of the Field of Celebrant. So just in a brief setup, Hirian uh, of Gondor is the steward right now. This is beyond the Age of Kings. This is uh, twenty four eighty nine of the Third Age. Yeah, even though his father, Boromir I, had several military victories, the realm was still barely held together by the time Kyrian took the scepter. Osgiliath was ruined, and the stone bridge was broken, and Ithilien was reclaimed, but completely depopulated. And Kyrian, of course, he was concerned with invasion. Why wouldn't you be? Yeah, things are pretty weak right now. Prime for invasion. The crossings of the Anduin had long been unlatched, and the forts had been destroyed. Yeah, he sent scouts up the river, and they discovered... A large group of Easterlings called the Belkoth. And we've got a quick excerpt. They were slaying or driving north up the river running, and into the forest the remnant of the Northmen, friends of Gondor, that still dwelt east of Mirkwood. But he could do nothing to aid them, and it was be- beca- became more and more dangerous to gather news. Too many of his scouts never returned. Yeah, and in the spring... Of the year 2905, word came to Kyrian and Gondor of the mustering of the Belkoth. An excerpt about that. They were only rudely armed and had no great number of horses for riding, using horses mainly for draught, since they had many large wains, as had the wain riders, to whom they were no doubt akin, that assailed Gondor in the last days of the kings. But what they lacked in gear of war, they made up for in numbers so far as could be guessed. Yeah, so they're not super uh, technologically advanced or gear of war-ish. But there's, but there's a, a shitload of them, and they're fierce. So Curian sent six messengers to the Aeothade in the north, hoping, hoping, hoping that they would remember their friendship of old. And they were bearing what was known as the Red Arrow and some gems signifying the steward of Gondor. Yeah, so these were essentially an ancient symbol used by the stewards of Gondor to summon its allies to war. It had black flights and a red tip to symbolize blood. This isn't just a, this is going back into the days of the king too. Not only the stewards, but the king also. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Used to send the red arrow. Yeah, it's an ancient ancient symbol. So they're hoping that they'll remember this. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they did not really expect any help to come ultimately, but they were hoping. They weren't really expecting anything, at, at least not in time, to make a, any difference. But one of the six messengers of Gondor, all, all, all of them except for one, were killed by Dol Guldur. And he made it through. His name was uh, Borondir. And what's funny is he himself is a descendant of the Northmen who moved to Gondor back in the early days. Um, which kind of with the days of the Kinstrife, remember when yeah. the Northmen were kind of mingling with the people of Gondor? Yeah, so he's time. he's uh, in some way kin of the kin to the Aeoth. Yeah, yeah, definitely, he's closer in kin to them than the people most people of Gondor. So at this point, we got to talk about an important character, uh, Errol the Young. Errol the Young, of course, probably one of the most important Rohirrim characters of all time. Yeah. So just a brief little bit about Errol. He was uh, sixteen years old when he became Lord of the Aeothed when his father died, his father Laod. And that's why he got the name Errol the Young. Yeah, and that was in 2501 of the Third Age. Yeah, and he was 25 years old when six messengers rode out from Gondor asking for help in 2510. This is with the arrow and the gem. 
Yeah, and he answered the call, and he summoned a huge amount of forces, almost leaving his land like almost completely unprotected, to ride to the, the aid of Gondor. Yeah, and it was a huge muster of about 7,000 fully armed riders and several hundred mounted archers. So the battle itself. Get into it. The Battle of the Field of Celebrant. Meanwhile, back in Gondor, the Balkoth had begun to cross the Anduin at several fords and were flooding into Kalinarden. Not good. Yeah, the northern army of Gondor issued from Isengard, Aglarond, and various other fortresses in the White Mountains. They were led by Kyrion, the current steward of Gondor. Yes, our boy Kyrion. I love Kyrion. Kyrion made a counterattack to drive the Balkoth back to the Anduin, but in that whole in trying to do that, he was kind of back to the west and cut off from the reinforcements in cut off from all reinforcements in an area called the Wold. Yeah, as the army of uh, Southern Gondor approached the battle got even worse. Uh, a band of orcs descended from the Misty Mountains and began to assault Kyrian from the west. Just then, though, the Aeothaid come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, horns sound from the north, and the Aeothaid joined the battle, turning the tide, and ultimately saving the day. We've got a pretty sweet excerpt here, too. When Aerol and his riders came to the field of Celebrant, the northern army of Gondor was in peril. Defeated in the Wold and cut off from the south, it had been driven across the Limlight and was then suddenly assailed by an orc host that pressed it toward the Anduin. All hope was lost when, unlooked for, the riders came out of the north and broke upon the rear of the enemy. Then the fortunes of the battle were reversed and the enemy was driven with slaughter over the Limlight. Yeah, the Belkoth were driven off and essentially hunted hunted all across Kalinarden by the riders of the Aeothid. Yeah, we got a little funny little mini uh, excerpt here about that. Aero led his men in pursuit, and so great was the fear that went before the horsemen of the north that the invaders of the Wold were also thrown into a panic, and the riders hunted them over the plains of Kalinarden. So, so this was so terrifying. scary that it's yeah it even scared Gondor a little bit apparently and it just scared everybody like it was really scary. So a little bit of the aftermath of the battle of the field of Celebrant. Uh yeah the Balkoth are no longer a threat to the kingdom of Gondor threat solved and also the oath of Kyrian and Errol is sworn. Yeah and that's really important because this is when the realm of Kalinarden is officially given as repayment for their services over to the Aeothaid. Yeah, and for more on this, see episode 58, Oaths. Yeah, we talk about that Extent- oath explicitly. Extensively about that. Yeah, yeah. and this is uh, when they essentially first inherit the kingdom of Rohan, and this is when Errol the Young becomes the first king of Rohan. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, I love Errol. He's awesome. Okay, brief interlude here, guys. So we just got into the foundation of the kingdom of Rohan, right? We're halfway through the episode or so, a little over halfway. And uh, yeah, so between the the, the uh, reign of Errol the Young and the reign of Theoden, there have been many wars. Yeah, Rohan is essentially being at war with Dunland and the orcs of the Misty Mountains since its beginning. It's it's almost a constant thing. Some of these campaigns, uh, in brief, uh, King Aldor, the third king from Third Age 2570 to 2645, he completed Rohan's conquest of the lands west of the Aizen, so he expanded Kalinarden. Yeah, and the Dunalindings east of the Aizen were subdued or destroyed. Either way. King Dior, the seventh king, led an unsuccessful party against the Dunalindings that had taken over Isengard around 2710. Yeah, and I believe that wasn't uh, reclaimed until Saruman showed up. If I remember right. Right. Yeah, King Britta Leofa, the 11th king of Rohan, purged the orcs from the White Mountains after they tried to settle there. Because of what, Joel? Why were they trying to settle in the White Mountains? Well, these orcs were settling in the White Mountains because these orcs were essentially refugees from the War of the Dwarves and Orcs in the Misty Mountains that had just concluded. That was between 2793 to 2799. And that was like when they were straight driven out of the Misty Mountains. Yeah, the dwarves literally started... All the way north at Gundabad, they got new. It, it wasn't just the dwarves of the Misty Mountain. They sent out words to the dwarves of the east and west, and they the all whole, the yeah. dwarves got together, started in the north uh, near Gundabad, and just worked their way south down the Misty Mountains, just eliminating 
all the dwarves. Yep, and so the remainder all, of all them, the all the orcs, excuse me. Yeah, and the remainder of them are trying to post up in the White Mountains in Gondor now. Right, right, yeah. So if you want, if you want any more uh, information about the War of the Dwarves and Orcs, which is pretty cool, see our episodes twenty nine and thirty. Uh, our episodes on the dwarves. Yeah, great episodes. Um, Gondor also helped Rohan in their campaign to retake the lands between uh, Adorn and Isen under the fourteenth King of Rohan, King Folkvine. Folkvine. Folkvine or Folkwine, however you want to say it. Folkvine. Uh, Rohan also continued to help Gondor fight in many of its wars throughout its uh, history. Yeah. Uh, they even lost two of their heirs of King Fulquine to fulfill the Oath of Errol. Yeah, so they're determined to help yeah. at any cost. Yeah, they lost two of their heirs, Fastred and Fulcred. They were killed fighting the Haradrim in the Battle of the Crossing of the Poros in Third Age 2885. The Rohirrim just trying to help out their friends, the Gondorians, in any way they can. Uh, most of the lesser-known battles with the most documentation are part of the story of Helm Hammerhand, the ninth king of Rohan. And just as an aside here, Helm is probably the coolest, one of the coolest characters in all of Tolkien. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. And so we want to save, this is like, so we would have had the battles here, but we really want to save them for next week because we're talking about Helm next week. Yes, we will be talking about Helm in our next week's episode, Heroes of the Riddermark. Yeah, stay tuned next week. Yeah, so that is going to be really cool because Helm is a really cool character. Also, uh, in case you guys are interested, I'm pretty sure Helm is the central figure in the coming... The anime. Anime. The yeah. War of the Rohirrim anime movie that's coming out in a, a year or two. And that I am extremely excited um, for. Yeah, I never thought it. about... I had never considered what it would be like to create an anime out of lore, uh, out of Tolkien content. But it somehow seems like it works. It somehow feels very appropriate. Feels right. And this, yeah. especially because Helm is such a gnarly, brutal son of a bitch, yeah. I think it could be pretty awesome. So I'm excited for that. So stay tuned. Uh, get excited for the War of the Rohirrim. Stay tuned for all that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get, stay tuned for next week. It's going to be a lovely episode. Yeah. So the next lesser-known battle we're going to cover actually takes place just before the War of the Ring during the battle uh, during the reign of King Theoden, and this is a battle that um, we've mentioned before, um, but we've never gone this in depth into. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, of course the Battle of the Fords of Isen, and it's uh, somewhat referenced in the movies. I think if you get the extended editions, they show the aftermath of the Fords of Isen in the extended edition. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let's just put it this way: if it makes its way into the movie, there's probably a fair amount of content out there about it oh, that they're yeah. cutting. And it turns out the Fords of Isen, there is a lot. A lot. I mean, a lot the novels even cut out. Because yeah. most of this stuff that we're covering here, if not all of it, I believe, I took from the Unfinished Tales. Yeah, there is a particularly dense amount of information uh, regarding the Rohirrim in the Unfinished Tales and in the appendices we found. Yeah, so check all that out. If, you, if you're if you just loving this Rohan stuff and you want to figure out where we learned all this information, check those out. Hell yeah. So, the Fords of Isen. Uh, we did not cover this in our previous Lesser Known Battles, episode 53, so we're going to get some good detail now. Yeah. Um, this battle took place on February 25th and March 2nd of 3019 of the Third Age, that magical year that, that magical we know. year, that magical summer. <laughs> this is the first big clash between Saruman's forces from Isengard and the Rohirrim. Yeah, so that's pretty monumental because up until this point, they had been either uh, allies or unofficial like frenemies Frenemies, and now it's just straight up no we're fighting went from cold relations to hot yeah yeah it went from uh allies to cold war to all out hot war there you go there you go (laughs) as it does as it does so Saruman knew that Theoden, King of Rohan, was more or less subdued by the leechcraft of Grima Wormtongue, whom he sent. But uh, Rohan had also had two very capable and well-loved military leaders. Yeah, at this time they've got Aomer and Prince Theodred. Yeah, Prince Theodred is a dude that is like only mentioned in this story and seems pretty cute. Cool. He, yeah, I feel like Theodred is a little shafted. A little shafted. Yeah, he d- he doesn't quite get his fair his fair swing. We'll give him a light shafted. Yeah, shafted. Shafted. Yeah, so he is a renowned captain of war, and we've got an excerpt here about Thadred. The chief obstacle to any easy conquest of Rohan by Saruman were Theodred and Aomer. They were vigorous men devoted to the king and high in his affections, and his only son and his sister's son, and they did all they could to thwart the influence over him that Grima gained when the king's health began to fail. 
Yeah, so naturally, these guys are a big deal. They're very close to Thaden, and they're willing to fight for him. So naturally, Saruman prioritizes destroying them first, starting with Theodrid. Theodrid, the king's son. Here's an excerpt about that. It was clearly seen in Rohan, when the true accounts of the battles at the fords were known, that Saruman had given special orders that Theodrid should at all costs be slain. At the first battle... All his fiercest warriors were engaged in reckless assaults upon Theodred and his guard, discarding the other events of the battle entirely, which might otherwise have resulted in a much more damaging defeat for Rohan. Yeah, so they wanted Theodred dead so bad that they were almost willing to lose the battle. They're not really paying attention to what's happening. Yeah. They're just going to kill this guy. Clearly, there's a priority it's here. A hit, it's a hit mission. Clearly, yeah. So on March 25th of that same year, Theodred had heard of the great mustering going on in Isengard, and he sought to crush them before they could mobilize. Yeah, and so he divides, he divides uh, the Rohirrim's forces between the east and west bank of the River Isen. Yeah, this was previously the only way for large armies to cross the river. There was yeah. only one way to cross the River Isen. Yeah, and that was the fords. And that was at the fords. And uh, we've got an excerpt here about this. The Eisen came down swiftly from its sources above Isengard, but in the flat land of the Gap it became slow until it turned west. Then it flowed on through the country, falling by long slopes down into the low-lying coastlands of furthest Gondor and the Endwave, and it became deep and rapid. Just above this westward bend were the fords of Eisen. There the river was broad and shallow, passing in two arms around a large eot, over a stony shelf covered with stones, and pebbles brought down from the north. Only here, south of Isengard, was it possible for large forces, especially those heavily armed or mounted, to cross the river. Yeah, so the Fords of Isen, a very important point on the river. Strategic. Very strategic. Also, it seems like it's a very beautiful little Sounds fort. beautiful, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so Theodred takes nine companies of men, including one company of archers, and rides north. And he caught up with a host of orcs 20 miles north of the fords and slew them. Slew them easily. So he tried to push on to Isengard, but unfortunately, Theodred was easily repelled. That's because the host knew he was coming and they were prepared. And they're dug- Yeah, you really think we're going to let you charge up to Isengard? Come on. So they dug in on the road just south of Isengard. We've got an excerpt about this. The enemy was, in fact, in position, in positions prepared for the event, behind the trenches manned by pikemen, and Theodred in the leading Aored was brought to a stand and almost surrounded, for the new forces hastening from Isengard were now outflanking him upon the west. And Theodred turns around and retreats to the fords like any sane military leader. Yeah, go to that choke point, get across the fords, use the river as a defense. Mm-hmm. We've got an excerpt here about this. But the enemy was not shaken off or long distance, for the retreat was often delayed when the rearguard under Grimbold was obliged to turn at bay and drive back the most eager of their pursuers. So they're literally just like yeah, poking at their ass as they're Yeah, they're, they're really on their ass as they're retreating to the fords. This is getting real tight. And Grimbold is put in charge of the forces on the west bank, and they were to hold the middle of the ford for as long as possible to aid their retreat across the ford. But now, a force is attacking from the east bank from the north. The opposite side of the river. How how could this be? Well, it's because Saruman had built a dam bridge at Isengard. Yeah, so where the ford was normally the only way to cross this river, Saruman built a secret bridge, and now he's got like a surprise attack coming down the opposite side of the river, where they thought they would be safe. We have an excerpt about this. Saruman's eastern force came down with unexpected speed. It was much smaller than the western force, but more dangerous. In its van were some Dunlending horsemen and a great pack of dreadful orcish wolf riders, feared by horses. Behind them came two battalions of the fierce Uruks, heavily armed but trained to move at great speeds for many miles. So Theodred is pushed south along the east bank and totally surrounded. Yeah, Grimbold leads a charge to break through and save Theodred, but unfortunately Grimbold arrives too late and watches as Theodred is struck down and killed by an orc. But Grimbold manages to slay that orc, 
Revenge. Revenge. And we've got an excerpt, quick excerpt here about this scene. So fierce was his onset from the rear of the attackers that Grimbold, a man of great strength and stature, clove his way through, till with two others he reached Theodred, standing at bay on the knoll, too late. As he came to his side, Theodred fell, hewn down by a great orc man. Grimbold slew him and stood over the body of Theodred, thinking him dead. And there he would have himself soon had died, but for the coming of Elfhelm. 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 Yeah, so Grimbold is now surrounded, and the fenders of the East Bank are totally fucked, but, like the excerpt mentioned, then, at the rising of the sun, riding out of the East comes Elfhelm, leading four companies of cavalry. And this is what the opening excerpt was. Yeah, this was the opening excerpt. This is a really awesome, I love that excerpt. Yeah, it's great. So the rising sun at their backs makes it seem like their host is much larger and the orcs and Dunlundings basically just turn and run. They're terrified. Too much. And most of Saruman's forces fled to the north, pursued by two of Elfhelm's companies, and the rest are totally fucked. All of those who stood their ground were killed. And Elfhelm, he charges to the rescue of Grimbold on the Knoll, and here's an excerpt about that. The axemen were now caught between the surviving defenders and the onslaught of Elfhelm, with both banks still held by the Rohirrim. They fought on, but before the end, were slain to a man. Elfhelm himself, however, sprang up towards the knoll, and there he found Grimbold, fighting two great axemen for the possession of Theodred's body. One Elfhelm slew, and the other fell before Grimbold. Hell yeah. And the battle had been won. Yay! Woohoo! Finally. Saruman's forces finally fucked off or were killed. And the Rohirrims, they held the fords! For, for now. now. For now. <laughs> but also not without heavy losses. And we have an excerpt here. They stooped then to lift the body and found that Theodred still breathed. But he lived only long enough to speak his last words. Let me lie here to keep the fords. Until Aomer arrives. Night fell. A harsh horn sounded, and all was silent. The attack on the West Bank ceased, and the enemies there faded away into the dark. The Rohirrim held the fords of Aizen, but their losses were heavy. Not least in horses, the king's, men was, the king's son was dead, and they were leaderless, and they did not yet know what might befall. Yeah, it was a dark time. Despite they won, but it was pretty... Yeah, it was, it was a fucked up loss, yeah. Mm-hmm. Theodred, the king's son. That means the line of kings is ended. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And they have to go bring this news to the, the, the king. Yeah. Your line is over. Your line is done. So the ba- the battles of the Fords of Eisen were pretty decisive, especially in the early... First <laughs> the, the first battle. Well, well, even, I, well, we'll get into the second one, too. They're both decisive, but the, in a yeah, different way. The, the battles are, yeah. So after the first battle... Theodred's forces who retreated south return, and Urkenbrand is given control of the garrison of the fords. But he's all the way off in fucking Helm's Deep, so he can't do much right now. So uh, Grimbold assumes command until he can arrive. Yeah, and Grimbold holds the west bank with foot soldiers, and Elfhelm holds the east bank. And this brings us to the second battle of the fords. Yeah, this one's fun, but for a different reason. Yeah, so there's a lot less information about the Second Battle of the Fords of Aizen, uh, probably because it was more brief and decisive. Yeah, so Elfhelm and Grimbold shared command here um, because this is the Westfold, so Grimbold is commanding uh, instead of Urkenbrand. Mm-hmm. And Elfhelm is just uh, his own independent force from uh, Edoras, so he's like, we'll share command. Yeah, and Elfhelm wanted to abandon the Fords and fortify the east bank of the Aizen, but Grimbold wanted to hold the Fords. It was kind of a matter of pride for the Westfold. Yeah, they're like, we're not, we've ne- the Fords of Eisen have never fallen uh, like since, you know, centuries now. Why right. would we let them fall now? Right. I think it's another one of those pride instances in battle. Mm-hmm. So Saruman again sends forces to attack the Fords on March 2nd, like we mentioned earlier, of 3019. This is the second battle. Smaller, but still outnumbering the defenders. And Grimbold is once again forced across the Fords. And uh, Elfhelm moves to help, but is cut off by war riders and is pretty much a force to retreat off east and fucks off for the remainder of the battle. That's pretty much it for Elfhelm. Here's an excerpt about this whole clusterfuck. It was not yet midnight when the points of red light were seen coming from the north and already drawing near on the west of the river. 
It was the vanguard of Saruman that he was now committing to, committing to battle for the conquest of the Westfold. They came on at a great speed, and suddenly all the host burst into flame, as it seemed. Hundreds of torches were kindled from those borne by the leaders of troops, and gathering into their stream the forces already manning the west bank, they swept over the fords like a river of fire with a great clamor of hate. And so the fords fall. Yeah. And Grimbold is surrounded, right? Mm-hmm. On the east bank. What he does is something that the uh, the Anglo-Saxons were famous for, right? Yeah. We talked about this in mm-hmm. the first episode. He does a shield wall, which is something super cool. Yeah. Where you lock your shields together and you make like a like a tortoise type thing. Yeah, basically. So he makes a shield wall around his men, and the wall stands against the onslaught of the orcs and the Dunlendings. It's a pretty effective defensive maneuver to save the little amount of people he has left. Yeah. And we've got a excerpt here. But the shield wall held... Then, since the orcs were of less avail in such fighting because of their stature, fierce companies of Dunlandish hillmen were thrown against it. But for all of their hatred, the Dunlandings were still afraid of the Rohirrim if they meet face to face. And they were also less skilled in warfare and less and less well armed. The, the shield wall still held. Hell yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. So Grimbold waited for help from Elfhelm, but none would come. He, too, had been forced to retreat east. He's long gone. Uh, Grimbold takes a small amount of riders that are all... There's literally horses in this thing. Like, in their shield wall, there's horses and shit in there. It's huge, right? It's a huge monstrosity. He takes a small amount of riders and bursts out of the wall, and the Rohirrim fight their way through the lines north and south. It's literally like a scatter moment. Like, it's it's not even like we're trying yeah. to... It's like we're trying to just get the fuck out of yeah, here Yeah, it's moment. like a break this... Yeah, so we got a little uh, uh, excerpt about that. The shield wall was opened on the east side, and the riders passed through, driving back their assailants on that side. Then, dividing and wheeling round, they charged the enemy to the north and to the south of the camp. The sudden maneuver was for a space successful. The enemy was confused and dismayed. Many thought at first that a large force of riders had come from the east. Yeah, utter confusion. They f- they literally flee off into the night and they gather elsewhere. They're just they they flee the battlefield just straight up. They're gone. Yeah, the Rohirrim they they flee off. They make it, but ultimately the Fords fall to Saruman. And this is when the invasion of Rohan proper begins. And so and to see what happens next, read the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, read the Lord of the the War of the Ring is essentially the next major thing that happens. Yeah, exactly. So all these next battles that the Rohirrim are involved in are major battles that we've that basically covered before. Yeah, we've talked about them before, so we won't cover anything further really in this lesser known battles Rohirrim edition. That was the uh, Fords of Eisen was our really our last lesser known battle. Yeah, that was the big gem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Yeah, afterthoughts. Yeah, some final thoughts here. Uh, ultimately, the Rohirrim have a long history of fighting and battles. They have many times been driven from their homes by war. And they are constantly defending themselves and their way of life. It, constantly. Uh, like, yeah, literally. Like, constantly. literally. And we really like the Rohirrim because they're great friends, and we like great friends, right? Yeah, they're really the ideal, like, comrades. Yeah. Like, th- they'll come help you no matter what, even at their own The risk of risk. their own ass, yeah. Yeah. And you will notice that many of the battles that were discussed in this uh, in this episode were instances of the Rohirrim slash the Aethaid slash the Northmen coming to help their friends. Yeah, it's usually them coming to save the day. They've got a history of doing that, specifically for Gondor. Specifically for Gondor. And we just want to say from here uh, at at uh, KOT Podcast, long live the Rohirrim. Yeah, we love we love the Rohirrim. Yeah. Fourth Aeolingas. Fourth Aeolingas. <laughs> So that's about all we have for uh, our episode today, guys. Thanks for listening to the KOT Podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe at Spotify, SoundCloud, or iTunes at www.thatwebsite.com slash keeontolkien. Yeah, stay up to date with our new episodes and news, and make sure to rate us and give us a review when you're there. And don't forget to check out our new merch store. Yeah, definitely check out the merch store. Yeah, that's going to be keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmail.com. And uh, our friends designed some of the T-shirts, and we have full control of that process. So if you have any ideas that you'd like to see on a T-shirt, hit us up. Hit us up, yeah. If we like it too, we'll we'll have it be made so. Yeah, and like uh, we mentioned earlier, we do have uh, plans for more more T-shirt designs will be coming in the future. Yeah, 
Make sure you follow us on social media. Uh, definitely join our Discord server. That's where we uh, deal most with people. Yeah, we're on there a lot. And we have a hopping uh, thread about the uh, Amazon series on there. Yeah, that's been blowing up recently. So, yeah, we're going to throw a invite in the description of this episode and throw some out on social media, too. Absolutely. Check it out. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at KOT Podcast. If you want to follow me, I'm at Danny J at KOT, but I don't tweet that much anymore. Yeah, feel free to follow us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com forward slash official keep on Tolkien. And while you're there, don't forget to join the KOT Talk group where you can ask us questions and just kind of discuss and hang out with other listeners. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at uh, Keep On Tolkien Podcast. And we also just want to throw out a thank you, thank you, thank you to our patrons. Yes, it's because of you guys that we can continue doing this. Yeah, the whole last run was y'all. Yeah, uh, it's technically the podcast is something we, it still comes out of pocket. You know, we still have to pay to do it, but uh, all of our patrons really help subsidize those costs and really help us bring a better product to you. Yes. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash K-O-T podcast. Yeah, because like Joel said, still a DIY podcast, still coming out of pocket. Donations help so, so much. Yeah. Uh, subscribing can also unlock some exclusive content, more content coming as well. Yeah, and a lot of people have been asking about, or a few people, shouldn't say a ton, but a few people here and there have been asking about private one-time donations, if Patreon really isn't your speed. And if that's totally cool too, we, we accept one-time donations, just shoot us an email or a message on social media and we'll make it happen. We have PayPal and other things. Yeah. But that's about all we got for you today, guys. Yeah, I'm Danny J. And I am Joel N. And as always... Keep, Keep on, on talking. talking. Array into Luba.